0: Uh, Father, we call upon you for your wisdom, your insight, certainly your knowledge that comes from your word. Uh, Teach us and guide us. Give us new things that we can hold on to, new things to contemplate, even if it is just one thing through this week. We pray, Lord, that we would not go away from here empty-handed, that we'd be open to receive what you have for us. And we know this is your will, and we pray according to your will. And we know your word says if we do, we have it. So, Father, we expect it from you, and we are grateful for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Now we have these plagues that we're in the midst of. The first plague was blood. The second plague was frogs. The third plague was gnats or lice. The fourth plague is flies. We are going to get into the fifth plague, livestock dying. The sixth plague, boils. The seventh plague, hellstorm. Uh, The eighth plague, locusts, ninth, darkness, and the tenth plague is the loss of the firstborn. The first few plagues were all inconvenient to the person, and the next set of plagues attacks the very wealth, the sustenance that the Egyptians rely upon for their very living. And so Pharaoh wanted to compromise. He wanted to just give in halfway. He didn't want to go all the way and give... Moses what he wanted, but we left off in verse 12. So we're going to pick it up in verse 13 of chapter 9. Then the Lord said to Moses, get up early in the morning, confront Pharaoh and say to him, this is what the Lord, the God of Hebrews says, let my people go so that they may worship me or this time I will send the full force of my plagues against you and against your officials and your people. So you may know that there is no one like me in all the earth. For by now I could have stretched out my hand and struck you And your people with the plague that would have wiped you off the earth. Now, Kathy, you asked me that question, right? She asked me, why didn't God just kill Pharaoh and do away with everybody and let the people go? Why didn't he do that? Well, there's still more to this, but we know that God, by his patience, his forbearance, he was willing to just put this off and he was giving chance after chance after chance to repent, but he would not. And so there is a twofold purpose here, so that Pharaoh would know God and his power. And secondly, so that the rest of the world would know it too. It goes on to talk about this, but if I have raised you up for this very purpose, that I might show you my power and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth, yet you you still set yourself against my people... And will not let them go. Therefore, at this time tomorrow, I will send the worst hailstorm that has ever fallen on Egypt from the day it was founded until now. Give an order now to bring your livestock and everything you have in the field to the place of shelter, because the hail will fall on every man and animal that has not been brought in and is still out in the field, and they will die. Now, some of these Egyptians, they heeded this warning. And they brought in their slaves and they brought in their livestock so that they would not be destroyed. And all the families would have to get inside as well. Otherwise, when these hailstones come down, they would be so heavy that they would end up killing people. Those officials, verse 20... A Pharaoh, who feared the word of the Lord, hurried to bring their slaves and their livestock inside, and those who ignored the word of the Lord left their slaves and livestock in the field. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand towards the sky, so the hail will fall all over Egypt, on men and animals and on everything growing in the fields. When Moses stretched out his staff towards the sky, the Lord sent thunder and hail, and lightning flashed. Down to the ground. So the Lord rained hail on the land of Egypt. Hail fell and lightning flashed back and forth. It was the worst storm in all the land of Egypt since it had been a nation throughout Egypt. Hail struck everything in the fields, both men and animals. It beat down everything growing in the fields and stripped every tree. The only place it did not hail was the land of Goshen where the Israelites were. Again, God makes a distinction here. Between those of the world, those who are pagans, those who are idolaters, and those who belong to him. And he does the same thing with us, and I've already covered this. Now, in the King James, if anybody has a King James, does it say lightning or does it say something else? It says what? Fire. It says fire, that fire came down with the hail. And I looked it up in the original Hebrew, and guess what it says? Fire. That's what it says. Amazing how it says that. So was it fire or was it lightning? And the NIV and a lot of the new uh, updated versions, they will use lightning. And this is one area where you have to make a decision. Now, is it possible for lightning to strike horizontally? It is. I mean, If you've ever seen these slow-mo pictures of the lightning coming down or coming up from the ground as well it does that and it heads out in all directions and the time lapse ones especially you can see how the lightning is searching out something and then it finds what it wants and it goes to it and it all happens in a flash in a twinkling of an eye it happens so quick happens at the speed of light almost at the speed of light and so you look at that and you go how do you get fire and lightning well imagine if the fields are dry and lightning touches down everywhere Now, who has not been in a tumultuous lightning storm? Who has not been in one? One person, two, three? They are the most spectacular events that you can witness. Buzz, you've been in one. You have. Almost got struck, right? Crazy man trying to go out in the storm, in the middle of the storm told him to get back in there and the lightning struck the pole right on the other side of him instead of him but the lightning Buzz, when we were back there in bay st louis how many seconds between each bolt of lightning would you say sometimes it was just two seconds sometimes five seconds but it was just cracking left and right. And if this storm was more severe than that, the lightning would have been continuous. And if the lightning was continuous and it hit anything dry, there would have been fire everywhere. And so and there are times where if hail is falling, rain is not. Because it all turns to this frozen bundle. And in the book of Revelation, actually I want you to turn there in the book of revelation chapter 8 and verse 6 there's two places where this is mentioned where god is going to bring this judgment upon the earth again in revelation chapter 8 and verse 6 it says then the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to sound them the first angel sounded his trumpet and there came hail and fire mixed with blood, and it was hurled down to the earth. A third of the earth was burned up, a third of the trees were burned up, and all the grass, the green grass, was burned up. Turn over to Revelation sixteen twenty one. Now this gives a description of how big the hailstones are. It says, From the sky, huge hailstones of about a hundred pounds, each fell upon men. And they curse God on account of the plague of hail because the plague was so terrible. So these hailstones that were falling, and I'm sure you guys have all seen videos or experienced hail, maybe golf ball size hail. I've seen videos of baseball size hail, and the vehicles that have the hoods dented afterwards when the hail falls down to the ground. It, you don't want to be outside. You are going to get injured if you are. But in the book of Revelation, there are hundred pounds. Now, could you imagine having a 100-pound rock coming from an altitude of 1 to 5 to, you know, these cumulus nimbus clouds? Those are the big thunderheads that happen around July, August, and September. They're in East County. They can go up to 30,000 feet. And in order to create these hailstones, what happens is the rain starts falling. And when the rain falls, the wind, there's a convection that takes place. And the wind goes up through the middle and down to the outside. So you have the circular motion going in the cloud. When the rain falls, it gets sucked up in the middle, and it's cold in the middle, and it freezes. And it can continue to do that over and over and over, and that's where you get the bigger hailstones. How bad does the wind need to be blowing in those clouds in order to get a 100-pound hailstone? It is More than hurricane force on the inside of these clouds. Now, these hailstones in Egypt were so big, they were probably approaching 50, 75, 100 pounds each. All it takes is one. If one hits you, you are dead. And this probably was covering the land. When you see a hailstorm, and if it comes through and the clouds right over you, normally everything is blanketed. It is completely white, and you've probably all at some time, like me, taken a picture. Wow, look at the hail. It looks like snow. There's so much of it out there. Imagine them being 100-pound hailstones. They would be up to the eve of the house or even higher than that if the house even survives. Back then, you know, they had stone walls, but sometimes uh, the roofs were made out of thatch or wood, and those could have ended up being destroyed. But the individuals that survived, they obviously had to be in some type of abode that would not allow them to be killed. In our houses today, our houses would be destroyed, completely destroyed by 100-pound hailstones coming down. And so the people knew that this was a terrible thing. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron, verse 27. This time I have sinned, he said to them. The Lord is in the right, and I and my people are in the wrong. Pray to the Lord, for we have had enough thunder and hail. I will let you go. You don't have to stay any longer. Now, with the thunder, you know when lightning is right overhead, and if it's a pretty good sized bolt, does it startle you when it hits? Well, imagine thousands of them being overhead. And you just want to get some relief. It is so loud. Have you ever heard it where it sounds like a huge bang? It, it is just not the rolling thunder, but it's just pow. It just comes out there. You go oh, whoa, whoa, And the windows, you know, they just kind of shake. Everything shakes. That's what was going on there. Imagine the worst storm that you could possibly be in on land. And that's what was taking place for them. Now, Pharaoh comes along and he says, all right, I have sinned, it's way too much, just pray to get this taken away. There is this progression, and progression in his repentance, so to speak, but also in his relinquishing his power over the Israelites. First, it's, no, you're going to stay in the land. Then it's, no, you can go, but not too far. And then it's, go. You see how it just kind of progresses like that? When the Lord is working on somebody, it works like that too, especially if they're hard-hearted. They find finally, all right, all right, and they feel the pressure of the Lord. You know, these calamities will come. And when the calamities come, one in succession after the other. For instance, I told you the total time, the total number of days of these plagues was probably 50 days that you were actually having something going on or a cleanup taking place. But the whole time that these were taking place is probably nine months over a 9 month period now what do we el- what else do we know that's 9 months they needed god wanted a nation to be born and it was labor pains the whole time and you can see the connection you get these labor pains that are taken and first they're not so bad you know it's just kind of inconvenient like okay i can handle this i can still talk it's all right can you give me a glass of water okay i'm fine and by the last one screaming this is your fault get this out of me when you know just the, the horrible pain that the woman goes through and that's how these progress these plagues progress this way in order for god to birth this nation Remember, they started out just as 70. Now God wants them to be an independent nation. And in order to separate them from the world, there were going to be pains. There were going to be turmoil. That's what happens with a a lot of Christians. They go through this turmoil. All of a sudden, things start happening, and they turn to God and go, God, what's going on? I kind of think I know you're there, but why is this going on? And the ultimate is we die, right? You have trouble throughout your life, and then you slowly get ill, and the ill illness, they progress, and maybe they multiply. And you go from simply taking aspirin when you have a headache to dealing with migraines and something else going on in here. And what do you mean I have stones inside my body? And you got to deal with the stones that are in there? And the, everything just seems to compound, and then you die. And that's just like the plagues. And in order to birth you into the new kingdom the same thing has to take place as a child you have very little to worry about most children and the children under the care of a loving parent will grow up and then as they go to school they start encountering their first trials whether it's bullying or not doing well in school and getting spanked for something that did wrong and yeah i know that's not politically correct but That's what the Bible says. And so they grow up, and then it gets harder. They go to high school. They go to college. It gets tougher and tougher. Then they get out there in the world. They're a full-on adult. And then the trials just seem to compound. It goes on and on. And like I said, again, you die after that. And who would sign up for this life? I don't know that anybody necessarily would sign up, but we're born into it. And so this progression takes place. Moses replied in verse 29, When I have gone out of the city, I will spread out my hands in prayer to the Lord. The thunder will stop and there will be no more hail. So you may know that the earth is the Lord's. You see, there's several lessons to be learned. Not only does Pharaoh need to know that God is, Exists that he is the one true God. The whole world needs to know this as well. This is something that is a lesson that God has raised up Pharaoh for to teach the entire world. But verse 30 I know that you and your officials still do not fear the Lord God. And so they're just, okay, we're going to do what we can just to get rid of this plague. Verse 31 The flax and barley were destroyed since the barley had headed and the flax was in bloom. The wheat and spelt, however, were not destroyed because they ripened later. Then Moses left Pharaoh and went out of the city. He spread out his hands towards the Lord. The thunder and hail stopped and the rain no longer poured down on the land. When Pharaoh saw that rain and hail and thunder had stopped, he sinned again. He and his officials hardened their hearts so Pharaoh's heart was hard and he would not let the Israelites go just as the Lord had said through Moses. I, I stopped here when I was going through this, what could have possibly been in the mind of Pharaoh? I mean, he's watching his land get destroyed. It could easily get worse and he will not repent. He will not relent. He will not give up. And the Lord, you know, the Lord wants us to give up. When somebody does pass from this life, there is what are called the death throes that you, you don't want to die your body wants to keep on living but it's your time to go and so the body can convulse the body can uh, jerk the the body resists what's going on and this is pharaoh who is dead he was you know dead as far as the world is concerned and the judgment that is to come and satan as well they don't want to go easily they don't want to turn they don't want to be obedient And I've tried to get into the mind of Pharaoh, so to speak. What was he thinking and what was going on in the culture which he represented at that time? Well, first, there's this polytheistic view that there are many gods. And God hadn't exhausted Yahweh, uh, the Lord Almighty, had not exhausted all of the gods' powers because there were thousands of them. There were certain main ones, but there were thousands of these gods, whether it's the god of the Nile or the god of the food or the god of the air or, you know, whatever it was, there were several gods. And so they were were polytheistic and they're thinking, and this is where Pharaoh was. Okay, he's one god out of many because after all, these magicians could do fantastic things. And so he would be in awe of what these magicians could do. And so God, Yahweh, must be just one of many gods then there's the henotheistic belief that okay you have this one main god but i'm going to accept the idea that there may be lesser gods everywhere henotheistic is what it is and he would think like that like one of the biggest gods for him would be ra the sun god it would be a body of a man and a head of a an eagle i think is what it is And it's depicted in movies all the time. By the way, that is the god that the 32nd degree Masons are very familiar with. And this used to be a Masonic lodge. In this place, they used to worship the god Ra, to have you know what was going on here before we got this place. And of course, he is not a god at all. There is only one god. And then there's this idea, since you have one god and a bunch of lesser gods, that Pharaoh was used to having all these gods have special dates and times throughout the year. And so let's just blend them. It is called syncretistic worship. Where you take all of these different gods and everything that they represent and you put them all together. Do you know we do that? Christmas. That's what Christmas is. you, You say, what do you mean? Christmas is a syncretistic event or or, uh, attempt by Christians to make pagan holidays more palatable to the Christian. There's nothing in the Bible that talks about a Christmas tree that was first done by Martin Luther. The uh, circle of life hanging on the back wall. The the wreath, the pine or holly, the evergreen wreath, the circle of life, you know, that's on there. That is not in Scripture. There is not a circle of life. It's one way. Right? Right? Well, what about the other stuff? Well, like what? A eulog? log? No. That is not in the Bible either. Warm a fire. You know? Well, weren't the shepherds in the fields at night warming themselves by the fire? Well, maybe. But what does that have to do with Scripture? There's nothing in Scripture that says we're supposed to do that. What about the giving of gifts back and forth? Well, Jesus was the greatest gift. Yeah, but where does he say you're supposed to give gifts to each other? We're supposed to give our lives as a gift to God because he, he gave his life as a gift to us. And so everything that we do concerning Christmas, it goes all the way back to the Druids who would make human sacrifice. And when the Catholics got a hold of the Druids and started to convert them, they still wanted their fun times. And so they, okay, let's just make this syncretistic. Let's just mold all this together let's make jesus's birthday on the 25th because after all the winter solstice had just passed what was it the 21st and that was the shortest day of the year now we're going into the longest days of the year but it takes time for the earth to catch up so it's we're going into winter right now and we just incorporated the whole thing so we have syncretistic celebrations here same thing with um halloween all hallows eve That's where they'd put human beings inside of wicker baskets and torch them. Yeah, that's what they did. We don't do that today, hopefully, Lord willing. None of you do that. But it's this idea that we don't don't celebrate what they used to celebrate. And it was this thing with the dead, that the door was closest. It was the most open on that particular day, All Hallows' Eve. And then down in Mexico, there's the Day of the Dead. Right? But that's kind of incorporated with Catholicism a little bit, you know, and you mix all of that together and you call it all Hallows Eve instead of burning people in wicker baskets. And and that's the syncretistic idea that Pharaoh would have had as well. He's probably thinking, no, just do it my way. Get this God, this God Yahweh, and we'll just put him in the pantheon of gods. And we'll, okay, we'll just do it that way, right? You can go a little bit into the field over there or into the mountains, and you have to come back. So this was the mindset of Pharaoh. On top of that, his heart was hard. His heart was hard. He didn't want to do anything that Moses, the Jew, who was unclean in the eyes of Pharaoh, wanted him to do. He's king after all considered a god by the people that are there so he's not going to give it up so he's thinking we can probably just incorporate this i'm going to give you a little leeway for you and your god but that's it you know and i'm comfortable with him being there but we got all these other gods too and we're not going to just give up our other gods so that is his mindset of what is taking place now do we still incorporate other gods are we supposed to mix this Like in our worship, do we have things in our church that we do that are actually pagan in origin? Well, if I know of anything, it's going. If somebody has a sacred cow, uh, no pun intended, if somebody has a sacred cow, it's going to be sacrificed. It's out of here. It's going away. We're not going to do anything that is related to an occult or an occultish practice or a behavior that you find in another religion that is not Christianity and God calls us to do that. He even calls us to do that with individuals. If individuals don't seek to make their life right, if they're just going to be hard in their heart, the church is supposed to say you must go. You cannot be a part of this fellowship. That's what God has called us to do. He wants his bride to be holy. Now there are always going to be people filled with sin because they just they can't change it and we are in these bodies but it's the heart attitude like Pharaoh. Pharaoh, i'm not changing my mind well if that's the way you are okay go do that. not mind changing somewhere else you can't do it here and some people would say well that's not very loving what aren't you supposed to love everybody on the contrary that is love that's how love is defined it is not defined by giving somebody everything that they want now, this idea of other gods. Now, how many other gods can you name that are called gods by other religions? Can anybody give me a name of one? Who? Buddha. Buddha. Well, in the Buddha, Buddhist religion, there is no God, everybody goes to the collective. It's kind of like the Borg. You know, everybody goes up and becomes one is the way it is. And you empty yourself so you can become one with everything that is up there. But a specific God, can you point to another God which is out there that is worshipped that is not Yahweh? Oh ah, there you go. That's you guys are good. But, you know, there are thousands of them out there. It's just we are not familiar with them here. It's because of our culture now, that culture from around the world, the cultures are bringing their gods here. For instance, you have Prabhu, Bhagavan, Brahman, Ishvara, Brahma, Vishnu. Now, all of those are part of Hinduism, and they are gods, right? They, they set these guys up as gods. Then there's, it's hard to pronounce some of these, Akal, Purak. Ekankar. Have you heard of Ekankar before? These are the gods of Sikhism, which is similar to Hinduism. Uh, Nirankar, and Satnam and Allah, the god of Islam. Now, the god of Islam came, it was an old Iranian um, religious system and it came up through there. That's where they got this god, Allah. And by the way, if you do some searches and try to find out what that big square... Uh, rock thing is in Mecca that everybody goes around. Do you guys know what's on the inside of that? It's a meteorite. And they're kind of worshiping the meteorite. Meteor. I don't know how big it is, but they used to just have a little building around it and then they say we're going to really do this thing up. So they're worshiping this rock as they go around this thing over there. And it is a pagan religion. Also, now this one might surprise you. The god of Zoroastrianism. You want to know what his name is? Mazda. So those of you who are driving Mazdas are worshiping the wrong gods, right? I know, that's why we got rid of it. I found it out and I said, okay, the Mazda. Now you have the curse, right? Of course, Fords are for only redeemed drivers, and that's why I have a Ford. But the idea... Uh, the, idea, the full name of this god of Zoroastrianism is Ahura Mazda. So the Star Trekkies, along with Mazda, if you are involved in any one of those two, we have to pray for you. And make sure that everything goes well. And so, you know, there are all these gods which are out there. And, of course, I'm joking about the Mazda thing. Don't worry about it. There's not a spirit hovering over your car as you're driving down the road. I don't think you have to worry. But it's everywhere. And a lot of these names for cars, like, for instance, remember the Mercury? The Mercury The Mercury is a Greek god. And Zeus, you know, and all these guys that are out there—they—they they name cars after these gods. They pick these names that you have no idea what they really mean. It's just kind of catchy. Uh, just as a side note, remember um, Chevrolet? They made this one car, and they really pushed it in the United States at the time. I had one. It was called a Nova, and uh, it was a '65 four-door Nova, and it had mag wheels in the back and small wheels in the front, and it was. <laughs> had an 8-track in it. Oh, it, was, it had the foot pedal, you know, inside and blue carpet on the inside and a black vinyl seat. Oh, it was just, it was a perfect car. And they tried to push this car down in Mexico, which was a mistake. Why? Because in Mexico, Nova... It doesn't go. That's right. That's what it means. It is a derivative of the verb ear Voy vas va vamos van. Voy vas va no va you don't go if you buy a nova is what it was and so there's these things that are out there that we're unaware of and we need to kind of be aware not of cars and makes but are there other gods which are out there which are making an attempt to be incorporated with us in our society do you see that attempt how about the bumper sticker coexist everybody get along right that's the way it needs to be. No. Each one of those religions, the, the one with the crescent and the star is trying to kill the Christians and the Jews that are in there. And the Baha'i faith are just, let's just get everybody in here. You know, and, and it's not going to work. God is an exclusive God. He is telling the people of the nation of Egypt, there is none other but me, is what he is saying. There are no other gods, and there are no other lesser gods either. Some people would say, well, what about these spiritual beings? That's what they are. They're spiritual beings. They are not gods. Now, to us, they may be like gods. But God has declared over and over in Scripture, there are no other gods. He is it. So, this idea of coexist the idea of being tolerant the idea of being inclusive it is even getting into the christian church september 17th 2012 catholic high school to open muslim prayer room this that would be like okay we're going to we're going to take the little alcove over here which is open we're going to close that in and the muslims can come and pray right there now, how do you think God would feel about that? I think he'd be crossing his arms and tapping his foot and looking. You know, the eyebrows in the middle going down and on the outside going up. Like, what do you think you're doing? All in this effort to be tolerant. We, we are not supposed to be engaging in any type of behavior that looks like this. Now, I'm going to say something and I have to explain it thoroughly. We are not to be tolerant of other religious systems being incorporated into our ceremonies and practices concerning the worship of God. We are not to take anything from any other religion and incorporate it into our own just so we will be tolerant of anybody else who is out there that might be offended. The cross of Christ is an offense to those who are perishing. It points out their sin and makes them aware of the judgment which is to come. Nobody wants to hear about their sin and nobody wants to experience the judgment to come. So we offend people if we give them the gospel. They don't want to hear it. And so we are not supposed to take anything from the world, incorporate it into our lives of worship both corporately and individually and make it okay. Like this is fine. Like astrology. We are not to take the gods of the heavens and incorporate them into our daily living. If we're taking Ouija boards and we're using Ouija boards and reading our horoscopes and say, oh, this is okay, this is so much fun, and we're not supposed to hold to the belief of reincarnation. I'm sure there are some of you in here that do. Just get rid of that. It's not happening like that. It is Hebrews 9.27. It's appointed unto man once to die, and then comes the judgment. That's it. It's game over after that. And we need to tell people the truth. This is the truth. Now, do I like all the truth that comes out of Scripture? I wish I could say I did in my flesh. In my spirit, I rejoice. I go, oh, this is so good. In my flesh, I going, I do not like this at all. And that's what the world is. The world is in the flesh, and they do not like it at all. And it's our job to overcome the flesh. And God gives that responsibility to us. So we are not to mix worship of any kind, of any other God, any other practice that they perform and incorporate it into the way we do it. We, for instance, we are told how we are supposed to worship. It is spelled out. It is defined for us. We are to sing. God says, sing. Know the songs. If we don't know the songs, what are we being? Think about it. If God says, worship me, sing musical instruments, this is in the book of Psalms, if you don't do that and you worship God some other way and you define how to worship, what are you being if you don't participate? You're being disobedient. Now, I say that as one who can be disobedient. I'm not pointing at you because I have three fingers pointing back at me. We are all in this together. I should be sitting down listening to this, right? And and so we, we don't want to take anything that God says to do and say, I'm not going to do it. If God says be involved in fellowship and you're not, what are you doing? You're being disobedient. If God says be in the word and you're not, what are you doing? You're being disobedient. Now, I don't intend for you guys to go out of here with your bags packed for a guilt trip. I do intend for you guys to gain knowledge. Our flesh is wicked. Our flesh will prevent us from doing what God wants. And and the enemy will bring things into your life to cause you to be down and depressed and hurt and under this subterfuge that you are not happy and you are under gloom. And he will put you there and then you will say, I don't feel like it. Right? Right? I pray for you if you were there. If you don't feel like following God, I pray that you can deny your flesh. Just like I pray for myself, that I can deny my flesh. I can do what God wants me to do. That's what he calls us to do. We should not remain in this realm of being disobedient. And, you know, that's what it is. But God deals with us lovingly on that. How many chances did he give Pharaoh? Ten Ten chances how many chances does he give you more than 10 but he keeps on reminding you and me this is what we need to do this is how we need to worship god going on here well we're getting to chapter 10 how much time do i have i have 10 minutes let's go to chapter 10 verse 1 then the lord said to moses go to pharaoh for i have hardened his heart And the heart of his officials, so that I may perform these miraculous signs of mine among them, that you may tell your children and grandchildren how I dealt harshly with the Egyptians and how I performed my signs among them, and that you may know that I am the Lord. So there is a directive given here to the nation of Israel that they are supposed to teach their children and grandchildren. Now, by extension, spiritually, In the New Testament, we are called Israel. We are called Israel because we, like Abraham, profess a faith. And that was Abraham's hallmark. He was a man of faith. And in order to be saved, we have to have faith in order to be saved. Which means we are spiritually children of Abraham, which we are spiritually Israelites. You know, I have Jewish blood in me. My grandfather was a full Jew. Um... But I am not an Israelite physically, so to speak. Well, I I take that back. I could have been incarcerated in World War II. But this idea that Israelites, we are all Israelites. We are all partakers in this. With that in mind, should you teach spiritually your children and your grandchildren? Now, by extension, he's not just saying your progeny. He's saying anyone who is young? Teach them. Have you ever sat in teaching kids? I love, and we did this at Calvary La Mesa, my wife and I, when I was there. We would teach the little kids, and you—it's fun to get all their eyes where they're, they're sitting down, you know, cross-legged, and they're like that. Their eyes are looking at you, and their mouths are open because you know you have their attention. Now you guys are like this. No, I, just kidding but you have you have the little kids right and the little kids are looking at you and their their eyebrows are up and they're going oh you know they let me tell you about noah and the ark two animals two animals were going in that were clean and you know you had the unclean animals and you had the birds and it was just great oh water everywhere yeah water everywhere and then you take water and you pour it in a bucket and they go Oh! And they're making the connection. It's just like you're painting on a clean canvas, right? You're putting these impressions on there, and it's really visual. And you're supposed to teach the kids about these things. Do you think we're supposed to teach the kids about the plagues?: Absolutely. And you, you, get, you know you bring in a bunch of flies, right? You put them in a box, a clear box, and you bring them up to the kids and you go, "I'm going to release these flies. What, the, what is the kid going to do? Yeah, no. Take, come here, I want to release. No, get away from here. Oh, it's so gross. You know, they're going to do that type of thing, but you get you get these things embedded in their heads, and they go, "Wow, God acted like this. Why? Because He wanted me to know who He was." This is supposed to be generational, which means everyone is a teacher. Now you may say, "I can't teach anything." Oh, yes, you can. God has given you the ability. You teach your kids how to eat with a fork, right? Did your parents ever teach you how to turn your fork properly in your hand instead of eating like a troglodyte? <laughs> my parents did. Hold your fork right. You know, my dad, hold your fork right. And this is how you cut. And then you cross over with your fork and your knife. You you cut, you hold the fork and you cut, and then you cross over with the fork, and then you stab it and then you eat it. But if you're over in Europe, it's not like that. They cut with the right hand and they eat with the left hand. You know, it's like troglodyteism that is over there. So you teach your kids these things. You teach your kids how to tie their shoes. You teach them how to put on their clothes in the right way instead of being backwards. You teach them all this stuff. Well, teach them about the plagues. Teach them about the things of the Lord. The Lord has said to do this because by extension, we are Israelites, right? Spiritually speaking, not physically, but spiritually speaking, we are Israelites. So it is our job to do this, to pass it along. So It continues here, verse 3, starts with that word, So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said to him, This is what the Lord, the God of the the Hebrews, says. How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? And this is a warning not just to Pharaoh, but this is a warning for the rest of humanity. Because of these plagues that have come along, everybody is called upon to repent. James chapter 4 verse 10 says, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. I am absolutely convinced that if Pharaoh would have repented, God would have blessed him. I'm fully convinced of that. But he would not. He ends up going on to call Moses evil in what he's doing. And, of course, that's the Planck guy syndrome. He is the hypocrite. He is doing what is evil and what is wrong. And we'll get to that next week but clearly pharaoh was built or bent on evil and so i'm going to wrap this up here what are we supposed to take from this certainly the plagues harm is coming to others because of what pharaoh has done and his refusal to repent so if we refuse to repent if we refuse to be obedient we are actually harming others in the body of christ for instance if your gift is teaching And you're not using your gift of teaching. You are hindering the progress of those who are around you because God has called you to teach. So you need to teach. If God has called you to be a leader, then be a leader. If God has called you to be a servant, then serve. If you don't do any one of these things, one of these gifts that God has given to you, you are actually impeding the progress of the body of Christ. The responsibility is all of ours. It is not all my responsibility or all somebody else's responsibility. It is all of ours collectively. So concerning this idea of repentance, there was the incremental refusal that Pharaoh was going through. An incremental refusal leads to reinforced resistance. I'm going to say that one more time. Incremental refusal leads to reinforced resistance. God comes to us and he says, I want you to change this. And you say, Yeah, I'll get to it. And he goes, Later. I want you to change this. I want you to turn this around. And you go, Yeah, later. And he comes to you again. He says, I want you to change this. You say, No, I'm just hurting right now. I cannot minister to others. Have you ever heard the line, How can I love others if I don't love myself? That is such a lie. That is a lie from the pit and if you believe that that you can't help others until you first love yourself bible says there is not have been, there has not been a single person who has not yet failed to love himself even when it comes to suicide the base reason for that suicide is self-love it's the focus on self how i'm hurting and i want to end the pain rather than looking outside if I can leave you with anything uh, today, I would say if you are in the state where you are hardening your heart because God is telling you to do something or you are so damaged that you don't feel you can rise above it, get your focus off yourself and put it onto others. This is what Christ did. He is our example. No matter how poorly you are feeling on the inside, your emotions will deceive you, and you think it's the right thing to do when it's actually leading to your demise. There's a way that seems right unto a man, but in the end thereof is destruction, and people shipwreck their faith because I've been offended by this person. I've been hurt by that, and every time God comes along and says, well, forgive him, you say, yeah, not now. I just can't do it. My heart's not right act like it then there's one guy who is a jew who's on the radio dennis prager he says no matter what you feel no matter what you believe and he's a secular guy he's not scriptural right but he recognizes it too and he's like a rabbi he's a jewish scholar he says even if you don't feel like it do it that's what we're supposed to do that's how we treat our children we take care of them even when you don't feel like it you always feel like being a parent right the little toddler Yeah, I'll do it all day long. No, it doesn't work like that. Same thing with our Christianity. Just because you don't feel like it doesn't mean God doesn't want you to do it anyhow. And so our responsibility, and I include myself in this, is I'm supposed to leave myself crucified. Pick up your cross daily. That's what Scripture says. If we do that, then we can serve Christ by serving others. Pharaoh would not he kept on having this incremental resistance to the things of God, and it led to the hardening of his heart. I pray that none of you are there. Let me pray for you. Father, I ask that you would come down and fill the hearts of those who are in here, those who are suffering, those who are hurting. If they feel they cannot reach out, especially in this new year, and work for the sake of others, and deny themselves i pray that you would empower all of us to do this to the maximum lord for we know this is pleasing to you we know that this is your will but father assist us in this because our spirits are willing but our flesh is weak may you empower those in here with the power of your spirit to do your will whether rising up in the morning or laying their head down at night May they seek after you for wisdom. May they be in your word. May they trust in you wholeheartedly and not look at the circumstances in their lives. Father, we know that if we ask anything according to your will, as I prayed at the beginning of service, that you hear us and you answer us and you give us what we request. So this is our request, Lord. Soften our hearts with oil, just as the song says so that we might praise you with a pure heart and be obedient no matter what the circumstances are. In Jesus' name, amen.